Section 5 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 8, September 1897. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Abai in August 2018. The Compass in Modern Navigation by G. W. Littlehales, U.S. Hydrographic Office transoceanic navigation with all that it has been to the commerce of the world and the development of the civilization of the nineteenth century rests upon the magnetic needle of the mariner's compass none but those who may estimate the effect of the sudden loss of the earth's magnetism will ever fully know the extent of the influence of the compass in human affairs throughout the history of ocean navigation it has remained pre-eminent among nautical instruments and to-day by the side of the chronometer and sextant it is scarcely less important than it was when it constituted the navigator's sole equipment the later instruments have contributed to precision in the use of the compass and to precise navigation in general but they have in no sense supplanted it or greatly affected the degree of its fundamental importance up to the era of iron ships the management of the mariner's compass was as simple as the surveyors being influenced by the earth's magnetism alone but with the growth of the application of steam propulsion to modern ships and the employment of iron and steel in their construction it was found that every ship herself becomes a great magnet like the earth is although of lesser intensity it has long been known that the earth acts upon the magnetic needle somewhat as a bar magnet does and that it has definite poles of magnetic strength and a magnetic field surrounding it which may be represented in general by lines of magnetic intensity issuing from one pole and proceeding to the other by curved paths to which a freely suspended magnetic needle will everywhere set itself tangent for more than a century it has been customary among geomagneticians to represent the elements of the direction and intensity of the earth's magnetism as manifested at its surface by lines conceived to be drawn upon the surface of the globe the lines passing through all places where the angle between the plane of the astronomical meridian and the vertical plane passing through a freely suspended magnetic needle is the same are called lines of equal magnetic declination or among mariners and surveyors lines of equal variation of the compass these lines issue from one magnetic pole and pass by curved paths to the other and through the geographical poles of the earth the lines which are conceived to be drawn through all places where the angle between the direction of a freely suspended needle and the plane of the horizon is the same are called lines of equal magnetic inclination or dip they gird the earth in circumferences parallel to the magnetic equator somewhat the same as the parallels of latitude with reference to the geographical equator the magnetic equator is the line passing through every point at which the freely suspended needle lies in a horizontal plane as we travel from the magnetic equator toward the northern magnetic pole the needle inclines more and more the north end tending downwards until the pole is reached 
when the needle assumes a vertical direction. As we travel toward the southern magnetic pole, the same takes place with the south end of the needle. Similar results may be obtained by carrying a small needle through the magnetic field of a bar magnet. At the neutral band it will be parallel to the bar, while, as either end is approached, the dip toward the pole becomes more and more, and, as with the bar magnet, which has a magnetic field that varies in intensity from point to point, so with the earth, whose magnetic field is powerful near the poles, and steadily moderates in strength as the magnetic equator is approached. There is thus a third set of lines passing through all points where the magnetic intensity is the same. These are known as isodynamic lines, or lines of equal magnetic intensity. In general contour they follow the lines of equal inclination or dip. These different systems of lines representing the magnetic elements have not on the earth that symmetry and regularity which they would present around a steel bar, but, on the contrary, they often pursue serpentine courses with many a bend and loop, and since the values of the magnetic elements are not fixed either as to time or locality, they shift their positions hourly, daily, monthly, yearly, and through centuries. These changes are all believed to be periodic, and, with the exception of the secular change, are of such small amplitude that they do not affect the use of the compass on the seas where commerce is carried on. So that for purposes of navigation, the terrestrial magnetic lines may be drawn so as to hold good for several years from a given epoch. A freely suspended magnetic needle dipping as it does everywhere except on the magnetic equator is of no value to guide a ship. The compass needle must be horizontal. This condition is attained in practice by putting a small sliding counterpoise on the needle to overcome the downward pull of the earth's magnetism, or by floating the compass card in a mixture of water and alcohol. It is, therefore, only the horizontal component of the earth's magnetism that gives steadiness to the needle of the compass and influences its direction. If a wooden ship, with no metal other than the copper in her frame, were to sail around the world, her compass would experience only those magnetic phases that result from the influence of the earth's magnetism, more or less steadiness, according to the varying amount of the horizontal component of the intensity of the terrestrial magnetic field, and a variation of the compass of larger or smaller amount according to geographical position. The ship herself would exert no influence whatever. But in modern navigation, instead of guiding a vessel having no magnetic influence whatever over the globe, a great magnet whose magnetic elements are known, the mariner's compass is employed in guiding a steel vessel, which is a great magnet, whose magnetic elements are ever varying and capricious, over the globe a greater magnet. If a bar magnet be brought into a horizontal position under a compass needle that has assumed a steady position under the influence of the earth's magnetism, the compass needle will immediately move and assume a position which is the resultant of the joint action of the earth and the bar magnet, and with every change in the azimuth or inclination of the bar magnet, 
the compass needle will assume a new resultant position this is analogous to the joint action of the magnetism of the earth and the iron ship on the mariner's compass only the influence of the ship is vastly complicated by the existence along with her permanent magnetic elements of the ever-varying magnetic effects resulting from the inductive action upon the soft iron of the ship of the fields of the earth's magnetism and the ship's permanent magnetism if a cylinder of pure wrought iron that has not been hammered and is entirely free from magnetism be held vertically in our latitude the upper end instantly becomes a south and the lower a north pole if it be reversed the magnetism also reverses so that the upper and lower ends are still as they were before a south and a north pole respectively when it is held horizontally in the meridian the end toward the north becomes a north pole while that toward the south becomes a south pole and when it is revolved slowly or rapidly in azimuth the foci of magnetic polarity move with the fidelity of a shadow until when the cylinder points east and west all the side facing the north is pervaded by north magnetism and all facing the south by south magnetism again let us conceive the hull of a ship to be like the cylinder of pure wrought iron and as susceptible of magnetic induction in being steered over its ever-changing courses as the cylinder is when turned into different positions then as the ship steers north in the northern magnetic hemisphere the bow will become the centre of north polarity and the stern that of south polarity as she gradually changes course to the eastward so will the north focus shift to the port bow the south focus to the starboard quarter and the neutral line dividing them which while the ship headed north was athwartship will now become a diagonal from starboard bow to port quarter when the ship heads east all the starboard side is pervaded with south polarity the port with north and a neutral line takes a general fore and aft direction continuing to change course to the southward the poles and neutral line continue their motion in the opposite direction until at the south the conditions at north are repeated but this time it is the stern that is a north pole while the bow is a south pole at west the conditions at east prevail only that it is now the starboard side that has north polarity and the port side south polarity and this transient induction in both the cylinder and the ideal ship is solely due to the effect of the earth's magnetic field in which they move leaving now the ideal or soft iron ship and passing to the consideration of the actual ship which is built of many beams and frames that have been bent hammered and twisted in fashioning them for the construction we find that the structure although still containing many soft iron pieces that become magnets when lying in the magnetic meridian and lose their magnetic qualities when turned at right angles to that plane has acquired characteristics that make it as permanent and well-defined a magnet as the steel bar with poles and neutral line as in the bar but located according to the direction with reference to the magnetic meridian in which the ship's keel lay during the course of her construction 
an iron ship with her frames plating decks beams stanchions shafts engines smoke pipes yards and masts is not a simple magnet like a steel bar but a network of magnets having the characteristics of a simple magnet growing out of many and diverse and reactionary influences within the hull however complex the network of magnets may be yet for purposes of analytical investigation to reach results to enable the mariner to allow for the influence of the ship's magnetism upon the compass its effect may be considered as taking place in three coordinate axes namely fore and aft athwartship and vertically downward with the pivot of the compass needle as the origin almost all the structural iron of a ship is symmetrically arranged with reference to the vertical plane through the keel so that for any piece on the starboard side another is generally found similarly disposed on the port side and the problem is simplified to parts of parallel forces each pair having its resultant parallel to one of the coordinate axes the effect of every magnetic particle whether of permanent or induced magnetism may be reduced to this condition if the sum total of all the magnetic forces parallel to each coordinate axis be transferred to it and the whole be conceived to be concentrated upon the north point of the compass needle the entire magnetic power of the ship may be compared to that of three imaginary compound magnets one laid horizontally in the axis of x the second also horizontally in the axis of y and the third vertically in the axis of z by steaming around a circle in the open sea and observing the compass bearing of the sun with the ship's head on equidistant compass courses and also at the same times the astronomical bearings of the sun the magnetic effect of the ship that is of the three imaginary compound magnets in the axis of x y and z which causes the needle to deflect from the magnetic meridian by different angles at the different headings can be immediately found if the variation of the compass due to the geographical locality is known as the ship makes a complete circle in azimuth the north end of the needle is drawn sometimes to the right hand of the magnetic meridian and sometimes to the left hand in the former case the deflection is called east deviation and in the latter west deviation a table of these deflections serially arranged is called a table of deviations of the compass the harmonic analysis of such a table of deviations consists in representing each of the elementary magnets whose effects contribute to make up the imaginary compound magnets as a separate disturbing cause whose effect upon the compass needle may be represented by a constant multiplied by a simple harmonic function of the compass azimuth of the ship's head adding together the effects of the different disturbing causes thus represented and placing them equal to the deviation observed on a certain heading of the ship a conditional equation may be formed for each of the headings upon which the deviation was observed from such a series of conditional equations normal equations may be found by the method of least squares and from them the harmonic constants which represent the elementary disturbing magnets 
thus it is that from the effect an intelligent comprehension of the cause may be gained with these coefficients a navigator may compute beforehand the value of the deviation to which his compass will be subject on any heading of the ship but in making long cruises and passing into different magnetic latitudes they require unceasing attention because some of them represent the effects of the induction of the earth's magnetic field upon the soft iron of the ship and as the ship sails the ocean she passes through ever-varying fields of terrestrial magnetism her own magnetism is also undergoing continual though small changes due to the wrenching and straining of the ship by the action of the sea yet by examining thoroughly into the harmonic coefficients and by considering the known values of the elements of the earth's magnetism a careful navigator may predict a table of deviations for his ship and compass in any part of the world he will then understand and be prepared for such changes in the ship's magnetism as arise from the healing of the ship from change in geographical position and from alteration in the course after the ship has remained for a long time on one heading and he may navigate his vessel with the confidence and security that he would have in a wooden ship for he can at any time correct the course steered by the compass so that the magnetic course actually made good may be laid down upon the chart or used in the calculation of the ship's reckoning he can correct bearings of the land by the amount of deviation due to the direction of the ship's head at the time they were taken and if he wishes to shape a course for a port having found by calculation or from the chart the correct magnetic course to be made good he can so apply the deviation as to obtain the compass course to be steered in many modern ships the deviations are largely reduced by introducing magnets into positions near the compass to compensate for the effects of the ship's magnetism the analysis of the table of deviations shows that the polar forces acting in the ship may be represented by imaginary magnets and it is therefore certain from well-known laws of magnetic action that the effects of these disturbing forces may be neutralized by introducing real magnets whose forces have the same magnitudes but act in the opposite directions the proceedings of the british association at toronto were admirably reported by the local press the daily reports of the globe together with a finely illustrated supplement aggregating nearly one hundred fifty columns or the equivalent of an octavo volume of 550 pages of long primer. End of section 5 End of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 8, September 1897